nearly every day as my mom dropped me off from middle school, uh, she would remind me, Will, don't let anyone steal your joy today. Now, uh, if the words middle school don't scare you, let me remind you that uh, that's not exactly an easy place sometimes to be joyful in. Or at least it wasn't for me. Because of this, I became kind of annoyed with her words. I asked myself, how can I control whether I have joy or not, much less keep someone else from stealing my joy? Joy was something rather elusive for me. It's something hard to hold on to. At some points, I'd have it, and then it would disappear, whether at the word of a teacher or a fellow student, or sometimes for no apparent reason at all, I would just find myself without joy. A couple years later, during my freshman year of high school, I encountered Jesus Christ for the first time as a person with whom I could have a relationship. Before then, I knew that Jesus was God. I knew a lot about Jesus, and I knew a lot about the church, but I never recognized that Jesus was someone who I could have a relationship with, that I could talk to as a person. And on a retreat, in a moment of grace, I beheld and believed that God had become man, taken on our flesh for me, to save me. And I felt great joy in that moment. From that moment of grace onwards, it kind of has been the, the, the setting point of my life. I knew I wanted to follow Jesus, and I've tried to do my best to live as his follower, not perfectly by any means, but I've tried. And I thought that I had found completely that joy that my mom was talking about. I thought that uh, I, had, I had encountered that complete and utter joy. And I had in a real way, I, don't get me wrong. My life is and was different and better because I encountered Jesus. But still, I struggle. And still today, sometimes, I struggle. Uh, whenever I feel very far away from Jesus, whether it's because of my own sins or because of what life throws at me, I struggle sometimes to encounter, to find the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. And because of that struggle, I began to ask questions. And they're questions that sometimes I still ask myself today. Why do bad things keep happening if I'm following Jesus? Why isn't everything perfect if I'm following him? Why am I not free from sin completely if I'm following him? What is this suffering? I didn't expect this if I was following him. Why do I not have joy? Why do I not have that experience of joy in every moment? If you follow Jesus Christ for any length of time, brothers and sisters, I think you've probably asked those same questions here and there. They're not bad questions to ask at all. Today, the church celebrates Gaudete Sunday. Gaudete is the Latin for rejoice. Be joyful. It comes from St. Paul's words to the letter, or I'm sorry, St. Paul's words to the Philippians. And St. Paul, when he was writing the letter to the Philippians, he was in prison. And he commands that community that he loves very much to rejoice. 
It's not a, a, an option for them as Christians. He commands us also to rejoice. So today in the church, we wear rose vestments. We have the rose candle. We hear about joy in the opening prayer. We hear about this joy in the readings here and there. Because we as Christians must have joy. But these two experiences, this command to joy, and this experience that we have of suffering, we have to ask ourselves, brothers and sisters, are they contradictory? Much to the contrary, I would suggest this is exactly what Christian discipleship looks like. That when we encounter suffering, that our, our life of discipleship is this mixture of joy and suffering. But why and how? And those are the questions that arise in my mind. Why and how? Are we, why is there this suffering and, and how are we supposed to remain joyful? I don't know if you noticed, but in the first line of today's gospel, we heard about how John was in prison. It says, when John the Baptist was in prison, he heard of the works of the Christ. Now, John knows Christ. John knows Jesus. You remember that he was the one who, in the bright light of day, pointed at Jesus Christ and said, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. He knows him. He baptized him. He had that encounter where when he baptized Jesus, the heavens opened up and the Father said, Behold my beloved Son, listen to him. John knows a lot about Jesus, and he, he knows him in relationship. He even says he, he, that he, as John, must decrease so that Jesus might increase. He knows that Jesus is supposed to be the most important person of his, in his life. But as he proclaimed those words in the bright light of day, Behold the Lamb of God, I doubt very much that he knew what was to come. I doubt very much that he expected to end his life of discipleship in a dark prison cell. See, because in that, in that bright light of day, John proclaims a conquering Messiah, a Messiah who would separate the wheat from the chaff and leave no ambiguity about who God was and what his plan was for the world. And Jesus, brothers and sisters, don't get me wrong, he does reveal the Father to us. But what he reveals and the way he reveals are different from what John expects. They're different from what he expects to experience. And so contrary to his expectation, God remains hidden and there's an ambiguity that remains, a, a this and a that. Man, each person, each human being is left free to follow Jesus Christ, to choose God or to reject him. Christ doesn't come as a conquering Messiah. He comes in the darkness of a stable, as a baby, inviting us to relationship with him, but not forcing us. And so in that darkness of that prison cell, John grapples with the disconnect between what he expects and his experience of discipleship. 
Now, we don't know what his exact state of mind is, but it would make sense for him to ask the question, perhaps, was I wrong about my cousin? Was I wrong about this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who I thought was the Messiah? John probably faced the temptation towards doubt in that enveloping darkness. And at the same time, brothers and sisters, he was presented with the greatest opportunity for his sanctification. In the darkness, he had the opportunity to exercise his faith completely in Jesus. And this is why he sends his disciples with that question. Are you the one or should we wait for another? The question reveals that John is struggling. He's struggling against that doubt and despair, but it also reveals that he set his heart firmly to trust the Lord. We know that he still trusts Jesus because it's precisely in the moment of his struggle that he goes to him. John asks Jesus to help him in the moment of darkness. It shows us that he places himself in Jesus' hands. Jesus' response is to point to the signs, the best proof that he is the Messiah. Points to those signs and he tells the disciples of John to remind John of these. And in so doing, he tells John that he must conform himself to God's plan for his life. In short, Jesus asks John to trust him still more deeply. That's what the words, blessed is the one who takes no offense at me, mean. The one who's blessed is the one who's not scandalized, who's not tripped up when God's plans don't meet his expectations. Blessed is the one who says, in short, in, in, in what Jesus shows us in the garden, thy will be done, not my will be done. Brothers and sisters, we face the same temptation that John did in that dark prison cell every day as we follow Jesus. The temptation is to demand that God meet our expectations. The temptation is that when he doesn't meet our narrow view of what God should be doing, to doubt that he is God. This takes the form sometimes of grasping for a visible sign that fits within our expectations. Sometimes we think that if we're following Jesus, everything will be perfect, will be prosperous, healthy, wise, have a comfortable life, and have honor among men. Or it can take the form of refusing to act when we don't have perfect clarity for God's plan for our life. Sometimes we want to know exactly how all this stuff will work before we commit to it, before we commit to Him. However, when we make such demands, we destroy the possibility of truly discovering who God is and having that unshakable joy which comes from being in a relationship with Him. Consider the fact that John knew Jesus to be the chosen one of God, but he never received clear and perfect external or empirical evidence of this fact. Rather, in the darkness, he knew it by faith. 
John shows us that we come to know and love God more deeply, being in relationship with him more deeply, only through conversion of our hearts. In the darkness of faith, John undergoes this process of conversion. This process of conversion involves him letting go of his expectations, letting go of his, himself in a way, and submitting himself completely to God's sometimes obscure will. It involves always, conversion always involves letting go of ourselves as the measure of the world and the events of the world. See, John stopped in that darkness. He stopped trusting in himself and he rather trusted completely in God. He entrusted himself to God without knowing where the road would end. And because of that, brothers and sisters, he comes to the point of complete freedom and joy in Jesus Christ. He'll go where Jesus wants him to go and do what Jesus wants him to do because he trusts Jesus Christ. We know this because he dies a martyr's death. He holds on to hope in Jesus all the way to the end. And foreseeing this, Jesus calls him the greatest of those born among women. Brothers and sisters, we also must undergo this conversion sometimes takes the form, often takes the form of the sufferings and the darkness that we encounter and we endure in our lives as a result of our attachments to things. If we want to see God and have joy that no one and nothing can steal from us, we have to totally surrender ourselves to Him. It's this type of surrender that in which we will ultimately find joy. And this is how St. Paul writing from a prison cell can command Christians to rejoice always. Such surrender to the will of God is not easy. It requires great courage, but that's a gift from the Holy Spirit that we have by our baptism. We hear about that type of courage in the first reading when Isaiah tells us, be strong, fear not. And then the second reading when St. James commands us to make our hearts firm. The question then becomes, and this is the question that will define our lives in so many ways. Will we set our hearts firmly upon him? Will we entrust ourselves completely to God so that we grow closer to him and become more like him? Will we refuse to let anything or anyone steal our joy? That joy that comes from knowing and being in relationship with a loving God.